You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. We pray this message encourages you today. Thanks for listening. Well, today we are starting a new series called Foundations. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about uh, some of the core doctrines and beliefs of the Christian faith. And here's the idea I want to put out up front in the message today. When it comes to building a structure of any kind, how many of you know foundations are crucial? You don't have to be a building expert to know that without a solid foundation, a structure cannot stand. And speaking of buildings and structures, how many of you recognize this building? Got a picture for you on the screen here. Anybody recognize this building? This is one Vanderbilt, uh, the skyscraper that opened up right next to Grand Central back in 2020 at 93 stories tall. This is the fourth tallest building in New York City. Uh, maybe some of you have uh, been up to the observation area. It's called uh, Summit One Vanderbilt. I think it's got the second highest um, observation area of any building in New York City. This is one of those buildings that has redefined the skyline of the city in recent years. It towers over Midtown along with the Chrysler Building and the Empire State Building. Really a magnificent building. Now, how many of you remember when the construction site for this building looked like this? If any of you are a commuter into Grand Central or you go into the city regularly, you will remember that there was a large hole in the ground next to Grand Central for years. I vividly remember different times getting off the train in the city and seeing this construction site, seeing this foundation. In fact, I vividly remember how much work went into the construction of not just this beautiful building, but, but the foundation of this building. In fact, the construction of the foundation required the largest continuous concrete pour in the history of New York. York City, 4,200 cubic yards of concrete. That is 400 truckloads of concrete that was poured continuously over a period of 18 hours. That's a lot of concrete. That's a strong foundation. Here's the point. Before construction crews can build a skyscraper up into the sky, into the air in New York City, they first have to build down sometimes several stories for that building to have a firm foundation. Foundations are Crucial. Without them, you can't build something solid. And I believe the same thing is true for our faith. The same thing is true for us. Without a solid foundation, we can't build lives of discipleship that will last. You see, if your faith is only experiential, then it might not stand the test of time. When you go through difficult seasons, when you encounter different voices and different perspectives, things that push back on your faith. Now, don't hear me wrong. I believe in having experiential faith. I believe we can experience the presence of God. I believe when we gather together, we experience this Holy Spirit. Some people only have an intellectual faith that lives in their head, but it doesn't change the way they experience everyday life. I'm not talking about that. But on the other side of things, if your faith is only experiential and you don't really know what you believe and why you believe what you believe, then your faith may be shaken in difficult seasons or in times when you have questions and, and doubts. And that's why over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what we believe as Christians because the, the doctrines, the core beliefs of the Christian faith can provide that foundation that we need to grow as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, let me just acknowledge that we have different people in the room. Uh, many of you would consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and maybe it's been a while since you've, you know, explored doctrine and the beliefs of the church. Some of you, maybe a friend invited you here today. Uh, maybe this is your first time in church in a long time or your first time ever in a church like this. Some of you, whatever category you fit into, you, you're wrestling with some doubts. 
and some questions about faith, about God. I want to say wherever you are in any of those categories, we're so glad you're here. I want to encourage you today. Yeah, we're glad you're here. You're in the right place. I want you to know if you have questions, sometimes we feel like our questions disqualify us. I want you to know God is big enough to handle your questions. You ever open the Psalms and read some of the questions that the psalmist is crying out, asking God? And so we want to have a faith that's been tested. We want to have a faith that's been questioned. We want to have a faith that can stand the test of time. We don't want to just have a faith that's come to us and been given to us, and we've never asked any questions of it. We want to have a a solid faith. And so that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. Um, We're going to talk about what we believe uh, as Christians. Now, before we... Before we get into and dive into any of these foundational beliefs and talk about spiritual truth, I think it's important for us to, first of all, talk about what we believe about truth. Because when we talk about truth, we might not all be talking about the same thing. So here's the question that I want us to discuss today, that I want us to think about today. Is there such a thing as absolute truth? Is truth something that is objective? Is it universal? Is it knowable? Or is it something that we simply construct for ourselves? Because that is a question that our culture is currently wrestling with right now. We are living in a cultural moment where people don't even agree about truth. Is there such a thing as absolute truth? Or is it just something personal that we construct for ourselves? And we could do a whole series of teachings on this. That's a big topic. I can't quite cover all the bases in one message, but here's what I want to do today. I simply want to show you what Jesus thought about this subject. I want you to be able to leave here today and know how Jesus Christ thought about this idea of truth. So in just a few moments, we're going to look at a passage from the Gospel of John chapter 8. But first, I want to set this up with a passage from the Gospel of John chapter 4. Let me give you a little context. This is a story in John chapter 4 where Jesus meets a woman at a well. Jesus meets this woman, and this woman is broken. She is broken in every way possible. She's broken relationally, emotionally, sexually. She's had five husbands, and the man that she's currently living with will not even commit to her in marriage. And you have to understand, in these ancient times, a woman had no right to initiate a divorce. It's just the way things worked back then. So this woman has been rejected five times. Can you imagine the brokenness? She had experienced in life and she meets Jesus and Jesus loves her where she is. He accepts her where she's at and she has this life changing conversation with Jesus and Jesus says something to her that's fascinating. Let's look at it from John chapter four, verses 23 through 24. Here's what Jesus said. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. Verse 24, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And I think in our world today, most people are okay with the spiritual aspect. I think most people are okay with that. I meet a lot of people who would say, Pastor Jeremy, I'm spiritual, but I'm not necessarily religious. And maybe some of you even resonate with that. In fact, as secular as our culture is these days, for someone to be spiritual is often considered to be a good thing. If you're spiritual, it means you're reflective, you're mature, you have some depth about you, you're not just shallow. I mean, come on, if you practice yoga and meditation and you eat a whole foods plant-based diet, you're like a spiritual Jedi master in our culture. People are like, how did you get so spiritual? But I think it's the second part that we often struggle with. 
our culture often struggles with. Jesus says there's not only a spiritual aspect of following God, but there's a truth aspect. There's a truth element to it. If you're going to worship God, you have to do it in spirit and in truth. After all, how do you even know you're worshiping the right way or worshiping the right God if you don't do so? This is how Jesus challenges us. And I think for us as followers of Jesus, we can feel some tension around this idea of claiming that we have absolute truth because in our culture, there's this sense right now that if you claim to have absolute truth, that's offensive because what we need to do is we all need to be tolerant of each other. We all need to value everybody's viewpoint. All viewpoints should be considered equally valid. The only thing that's off limit is for you to have, to claim that you have exclusive truth. But common sense tells us that can't be right. The person who's a, who has the viewpoint of a white supremacist and the person who believes that all people are created equal, one of them has to be right and the other one has to be wrong, right? And the moral compass of your heart tells you who's wrong. And I think there's this other idea in our culture that if you claim to have absolute truth, that you're not really free. There's this sense that your religious beliefs might hold you back from doing what's really in your heart. And the most important thing to do is to follow your heart. How many of you have enough life experience to know that there have been times in your life where you followed your heart and you still got it completely wrong? Come on, anybody ever dated the wrong person in the past? Oh, hello. You can follow your heart. You can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. And so as we consider this idea of absolute truth, I want us to look at what I believe are three myths that are prevalent in our culture today. Three myths that we need to debunk that are prevalent in our culture today. Are you ready? Here's the first myth, number one. If you don't agree with me, then you don't really love me. Anybody recognize that sentiment in our culture these days? It's almost like there's this ultimatum, like either agree with me or you don't, you don't love me. And this gets applied to so many things today, to politics, to theology, to views on sexuality and gender. There's this prevalent idea, this prevalent attitude in our culture. If you don't agree with me, you don't love me, you don't accept me, so I'm going to cancel you and I can't have a relationship with you and we can't be friends. Church, we have lost the art of disagreeing with people respectfully. Seriously. Like I believe you can disagree with someone even passionately and still love that person and still respect that person and have a friendship with them. We need to know that disagreement is not discrimination. Disagreement is not the same thing as discrimination. Let me give you an example. We as Christians, uh, we disagree with many of the cultural views when it comes to sexuality these days. As Christians for 2,000 years, we have believed and professed that God made human beings in, in his image, male and female, he created them, and that sex is a gift to be enjoyed within the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman as an expression of fully giving yourself to someone. The Apostle Paul said, as Christ gave himself love the church. We believe that that is sacred and special. Well, guess what? Our world disagrees with us by and large. We disagree with so many of the other prevailing views, but that doesn't mean we can't disagree in love. And some would come along and say, well, no, you're just discriminating against me. No, no, you can disagree with someone and still love them. And sadly, I have to admit that the church at times has often earned a bad reputation because so many Christians have disagreed with others in an unloving way. So many Christians have discriminated against people instead of disagreeing with them in love. Here's the second myth I think we need to debunk. If you don't agree with me, you're part of a system that's oppressing me. 
Many people today believe that truth claims are just power plays. In other words, there's this idea that if you claim to have truth, then what you're really doing is just trying to get power over me so that you can, you can control me. And I think we should take this one really serious because Jesus actually critiqued the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his time for this very thing. He, he actually said, you use your power and, and your truth claims to oppress people. You use the, the truth of God's word to actually oppress people. And let me just say, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should condemn any system of oppression that marginalizes people. Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry in Luke chapter 4, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to release those who are oppressed, to bring liberty to those who are oppressed. So as followers of Jesus Christ... We should stand with anyone who's, who's oppressed. We should stand for the poor. We should stand for the marginalized. And we should take this really serious. But we have to think about this, this idea carefully. Does the fact that claims of truth have been used at times as power plays to oppress people, does that necessarily mean that there's a problem with the truth itself or a problem with those who abuse it? For example, some of you here, maybe you've experienced church hurt before. Some of you, maybe you came from a, a church where, um, where the, the people in that church or the leadership of that church didn't really live up well to the message of Jesus, didn't really express the character in the heart of Jesus well, and, and you got hurt. And so many people end up leaving church because they got hurt, and in a sense, they throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I want to say, just because those people didn't live up to the truth doesn't mean you should walk away from the truth completely. Here's the third myth. Is this making sense to anybody today? Here's the third myth. If you don't agree with me, you're keeping me from being truly free. You're keeping me from being truly free. There's this idea like, if your Christian teaching conflicts with my version of my best life, then you're holding me back. And anybody who's an parent in this room, you, you can understand this. And we, whether you've been a parent or not, we've all been kids. You can understand this. Every parent at some point in time, your kid has protested and said, your version of things, your truth, your rules in this house are holding me back from living the life I really want to live. Do we have any parents of teenagers in the house? Can I get an amen? Somebody. <laughs> and if you've been a kid before, you know this, right? You've pushed back on your parents in this way. But can you imagine giving your children freedom to decide to do whatever they think is best for themselves with every decision they make at whatever age? I mean, when they're really young. I know what would happen in my house. <laughs> I know what would happen if I gave my boys the freedom to decide whatever they want for themselves. There would be no bedtime in my house. On a school night, there wouldn't be anybody going to bed to get ready for school. They'd be staying up to all hours of the night. They'd be eating ice cream for dinner every night. And they'd be solving all of their problems with violence in my house. I got three boys. Nobody would be hugging each other and talking things out. It'd be hit them first and ask questions later. <laughs> and here's the reality. I disagree with my kids quite often. Why? Because I want them to experience true freedom. I want them to experience the freedom of growing up to be a decent human being. And so I want us to look at a powerful passage of scripture where Jesus speaks to this very issue, this idea of, of truth and can we know absolute truth? And so let me just set this up for you because we're gonna be in John chapter eight. Um, Jesus is teaching, he's teaching his followers and the Pharisees and the religious leaders show up, his, the haters show up and they start disagreeing with Jesus and trying to debate Jesus. So the verses we're gonna read actually take place in the context of a disagreement. They're pushing back on Jesus as he's preaching about truth. So let's look at this. John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus said to the people who believe in him, 
You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Let's stop right there for a moment. So according to Jesus, there is a form of discipleship that if it veers from his actual teaching, the actual things that he taught us to to believe and to practice and to live, that isn't actually discipleship at all. Notice Jesus doesn't say, you can go to church and sing the songs and feel really good about the messages and then go home and live however you want and call yourself a Christian. Oh, don't get quiet on me, 1230 service. Don't get quiet on me. Jesus said, that's not to be a follower of mine. You can do that, but that's not discipleship. Okay? Then he says this, and this is our key verse. Let's read this together. John chapter 8, verse 32. Let's read this together. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. One more time. Let's read that together out loud. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, we're going to come back to this really powerful verse in just a moment. But first, let's finish out this section. Look at verses 33 through 36. Notice how the religious leaders respond. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? Like, who are you talking to, man? You know, we're the religious leaders. We're the children of Abraham. We're not slaves to anyone. Verse 34, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave of sin is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. He's like, don't give me any of this sons of Abraham stuff. If you're, if you're a sinner, you're a slave of sin. That's who you're a slave to. Mic drop. <laughs> the Pharisees' response is really kind of laughable because if you know anything about the history of the Jewish people, if you've read the Old Testament, we know that the, the Jewish people first emerge as a nation because they're set free from slavery in Egypt. The whole background, the whole backstory to the Jewish people, to God's people in the Old Testament is that God saved them. He delivered them from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. In fact, at this very moment in time, as Jesus is talking to and debating with the Pharisees, they were subjects of the Roman Empire. They were a conquered people. So you know what this reminds me of? We have an amazing capacity for self-delusion. We have an amazing capacity to to deceive ourselves. Someone once said the worst lies we tell are the lies we tell ourselves because we end up believing them. And this is why we have to continually humble ourselves and come back to the truth of Jesus Christ. This is why every now and then we need a Holy Spirit wake-up call for God to open our eyes and to come back to the truth. Because if the religious leaders could deceive themselves, it could happen to you and me. So let's review our key scripture again. John chapter eight, verse 32. Jesus said, and you will know the truth and it's the truth that will set you free. What I wanna do today is I wanna give you three truths about truth from this powerful verse. Did you see what I did there? Three truths about truth. And I hope you'll take some notes today because we're living in a cultural moment where people are confused. We're living in a cultural moment where there are so many voices, so many perspectives. You can Google or YouTube anything. Everybody's out there preaching and teaching their perspective. We're living in a world, a cultural moment that says, speak your truth. And we have to affirm everybody's viewpoint as long as they're sincere. We want to look at what Jesus Christ had to say about truth. So three truths about truth. Number one, truth is absolute. Come on, everybody say absolute. Truth is absolute. Notice Jesus didn't say you will know a truth or you will know your truth. No, he says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's an absolute truth. And here's what our culture says. Our culture believes this. I will know my truth and my truth will set me free. That's what our culture says. I will know my truth about my identity. 
I will know my truth about my sexuality, about the way I spend my money, about the way I treat people, and my truth will set me free. But I don't know about you. I look around at the culture that we're living in that's stressed out, anxious, depressed, addicted. People are living on the edge, and I don't see a lot of people living free. I don't think this is working out so well. I think this little experiment in our modern times of I'm going to create my truth, I don't know that it's working out so well for us. You see, this way of thinking This whole my truth thing, this way of thinking, it moves the location of truth from God, the creator, to me, the individual. And it essentially says that there's a vague universe out there, and truth is really unknowable. And since we really can't know absolute truth, it's up to us to construct truth for ourselves. I got to construct truth for myself. In fact, there's a famous parable that illustrates this. Maybe it's a parable that you read if you took a philosophy class in college. It's the parable of the blind man and the elephant, the blind men and the elephant. And I'll just kind of summarize it for you. Here's how it goes. A group of blind men stumble upon an elephant, and they're all feeling the elephant out and, and trying to describe him. In the first Blind man, he has his hands on the elephant's trunk, and he says, an elephant is long and slender like a snake. And the second blind man who's holding the the elephant's leg, he says, no, 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 no. An elephant is is round and sturdy like a tree because he's got the, the elephant's leg. And then the third blind man who's touching the side of the elephant, he says, no, all of you are wrong. An elephant is, an elephant is, is broad and strong like a wall because he was touching the side of the elephant. Now, you get the point of the parable. The the idea is that that we're all the blind man who only see the truth partially, so all paths and all perspectives are equally valid because we only see a portion of the truth. Now, I think there's something good in this parable in that we should be humble and recognize that we all have a limited perspective, and we can learn from other people's perspectives. But I think ultimately this illustration backfires because the only way this story works if it's, if it's told from the vantage point of someone who is not blind, who can actually see the whole elephant. How do you know that each of the blind men's only seeing and experiencing a, a, a different part of the elephant unless you can see the whole elephant? And so here's the point, church. As Christians, we believe that we are like the blind men, that that we would be in trouble if it was up to us to construct truth in this world. But the good news is that we believe in a God who created the universe, a God who chose to reveal himself to us, a God who resides outside of time and space, but he stepped into time and space, into the brokenness of this world, and he's revealed his truth to us. He put a moral compass on the inside of us in the form of our conscience. He's revealed himself in nature. He's revealed himself through his word and through his son, Jesus Christ, who stepped out of eternity into into time and space, and he has revealed truth to us. And so we don't have to live like blind men just stumbling through this life lost. We can know absolute truth. Here's the second thing about truth, talking about three truths about truth. Number two, truth, number two, truth is, it's liberating. It's liberating. Jesus said the truth will set you free. And our culture preaches to us the opposite. Our culture says that that freedom is found in the absence of restrictions. You got to take the restraints off. You got to take the restrictions off. You got to get rid of all that religion and all those all those do's and don'ts. And you got to live your best life. And the more you do that, the more free you're going to be. But I think we can easily disprove that without even looking at theology or any scripture verses. Let me give you a simple example, okay? The older you get, the more you have to embrace restrictions to actually enjoy true freedom when it comes to things like your health and your diet. So I'm going to disappoint all of you 20-something-year-olds in this room and just tell you the truth. I need to just tell you up front, okay? Your body changes over time, 
And all the things that you used to be able to eat in your 20s that didn't bother you, they start to push back on you over time. So for example, in your 20s, you can eat that French fry and you just burn it right off with that amazing metabolism you have. Well, guess what happens when you get into your 40s, your late 30s, your metabolism slows down. And all of a sudden that McDonald's French fry that used to burn off sticks to places you don't want it to stick to, all right? I got some love handles here. I mean, Pastor Amy needs something to hold on to, you know, to, to love on me. <laughs> Your body changes. And, and you can say, I don't have to have any restrictions. I can eat whatever I want. You can choose the donut every time. But guess what? You might lose your freedom later on in life when your body pays the price for it. And you're sick and you've lost your health. You can take the restrictions off when it comes to exercise and say, I can do what I want. I can lay around and watch Netflix. I don't have to do anything. Or you can submit yourself to the restrictions of getting up and going to the gym or going for a, a walk or running and going for a jog and exercising so that later on, you're going to embrace some restrictions so that later on, you can enjoy the freedom of being able to move your body when you're older. Do you see it? Sometimes restrictions are actually liberating. Truth, uh, freedom is surrendering to the restrictions that are applied by what's true. Let me say that to you again so that can sink in. Freedom is surrendering to the restrictions that are applied by what's true. For example, a fish out of water isn't actually free. A fish out of water flopping around in the grass on the lawn isn't free. It's actually free when it embraces the, the truth, the, the restrictions that it was meant to embrace in the water. It can swim and live and breathe in the water. In a sense, it's restricted, but those restrictions bring liberty. So here's the point, church. Truth isn't stifling. It's actually liberating. God has given us the boundaries of his truth. He's given us the boundaries of his truth when it comes to our identity and our sexuality, the way we spend our money, the way we treat people. He's given us the boundaries of his truth. Why? Because he's a good, loving, heavenly father who wants the best for his children. And he knows that when we live within those boundaries, that's where true freedom comes from. He wants what's best for us. And here's the third thing, three truths about truth. Truth is absolute. Truth is liberating. And number three, truth is a person. Truth is revealed to us as a person. Truth is absolute, but it's not just an absolute principle. It's an absolute person. Here's what Jesus Christ said about himself. John chapter 14, verse six. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Listen to me, church. God could have shouted sermons from heaven, but instead he wrapped truth in a person. He wrapped truth in a person, a person that we, can, that we could touch. He came to this earth and people could touch him so that the truth could touch people, so that the truth could listen to people and heal people and confront people and comfort people and surprise people. We believe that truth is ultimately revealed in the person of Jesus Christ who stepped out of heaven into this broken world so that we could know him. Think about the woman at the well for a moment that we talked about earlier. Here was this woman. She was searching for truth. Here was this broken woman who came to this well. She meets Jesus. She meets the son of God. And he said, you came to this well to get some water, but I'm gonna give you something you didn't expect to get today. I'm gonna give you living water. Because whoever places their faith in me, whoever follows me will taste everlasting life. And let me tell you something, this woman, 
she, she experienced life change. And she didn't find life change because she found a philosophy or a teaching. No, no, she experienced the truth of Jesus Christ in person who loved her despite her brokenness, who didn't judge her, who received her where she was, exactly where she was. And it changed her life. Do you see it? She met truth in the person of Jesus Christ. And listen today, I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey, where you are in your faith journey. Maybe you have some questions, maybe you have some doubts, but here's what I want you to know. You are surrounded by people in this room who would tell you I'm a lot like that woman. Jesus met me in my brokenness. I'm a follower of him. I follow Jesus because he met me in the brokenness of my divorce. He met me in the brokenness of addiction. He met me in the brokenness of financial turmoil when I lost that job. He met me in a season when I felt purposeless and he gave me purpose. And I am a Christian because I've met Jesus Christ. I've experienced his presence. He touched me. He changed my life. And so if you want to explore Christianity, start with Jesus. If you're a follower, a believer, and you want to get stronger in what you believe, start with Jesus, his life, his, his teachings. Make up your mind about him, who he is, because we believe that ultimate truth is revealed in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of truth. Because if Jesus was who he said he was, if Jesus is who he claimed to be, that would change everything. Jesus really is the son of God. That, that would change everything. L listen, I want to talk to some Christians in the room for a moment. If Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that changes everything for us. That means we got to get serious. we got to get back to the Word of God. We need to be reading. We need to get back in the Gospels and encounter the life of Jesus all over again. We need a fresh encounter with Jesus, with His words. And we might have to realign some things in our life to line up with His truth. If we got to do that, go ahead and do it. If Jesus Christ actually died, was crucified on the cross, was placed in a grave for three days, and he rose again. That changes everything. Because in a world where you can Google anything, in a world where there's so many voices, where there's so many perspectives, there's so many people preaching their truth, I'm going to believe the guy who died and rose again. That's the guy I'm going to follow. <laughs> you can give TED Talks about whatever, but the guy who died and laid in the grave for three days and rose again, I'm going to follow him. Because if that actually happened, that changes everything. That changes everything. And so I want to encourage you to start with following him. Explore Jesus. Get into the gospels. Read his words. And Jesus said, Jesus said to, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus said that we should pray for our enemies and bless those who persecute us and turn the other cheek when people come against us in a violent world that we're living in right now. Jesus didn't respond to his enemies with violence. What did he do? He went to the cross and in the greatest act of self-sacrificial love, he forever broke the power of darkness and violence. See, look at that and ask yourself, is that truth? Read his words. Read the way he encountered, he touched the untouchable and he loved the unlovable. And ask yourself, is his path better than the other paths and the other perspectives being articulated in this world that we're living in right now? Examine Jesus and ask yourself, is his way better? Is his life better? Is his are his teachings better? Let me leave you with this final analogy that I think you New Yorkers will be able to resonate with. How many of you would admit that you've ever gotten on the wrong train before? Ever got on the wrong subway? Ever got on the wrong Metro North train? I see a lot of hands going up. I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> it happens. This happened to all of us before. I remember years ago, when we first moved to Westchester, almost 10 years ago, 
I was getting on the Metro North train from the Harlem 125th Street station. And uh, I was supposed to take the local train and I took the express train by accident. And you know that can happen because sometimes they're like two minutes apart, right? So I get on the train and I was living in Harrison at the time. I'm on the New Haven line and I blow right past Harrison and I get to Stanford and I realize, okay, I got on the wrong train, okay? So what did I have to do? When I got to Stanford, I had to get off the train and get on the other train, right? The line going back toward the city. I had to make sure I got on the local train and I had to get off in Harrison if I wanted to go home. Here's the point, church. All trains didn't lead to the same destination. If I wanted to experience the freedom and the joy of being home, I had to get off the wrong train and get on the right train headed in the right direction. I had to get on the truth train. Are you tracking with me? See, aligning yourself with truth is the only way to get to the destination that you're longing for. That's real freedom. Real freedom isn't telling ourselves we can do whatever we want, we can embrace whatever we want, believe whatever we want. Real freedom comes when you align yourself with truth because Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so I wanna pray for you this morning. Would you just bow your head? Just a moment of prayer. And can we just take a moment to thank God that he's a God who's revealed himself to us. And, and today, maybe we just need to reaffirm in our hearts the truth of Jesus Christ. Father, today we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you are the God of creation, but you are also a loving heavenly father who has chosen to reveal himself, that God, we don't have to go through this life like the blind men lost stumbling through this world, but Jesus, you came to us. God, you revealed your, yourself to us through your son, through the moral compass that you placed in the heart of every person, the conscience you gave us through your word ultimately through your son, Jesus Christ. And God, we can know truth. We can know you. And Lord, today we were reminded that when we embrace true freedom, that's when we're set free. And so Lord, today we're coming back to your truth and I'm declaring freedom over your people. Father, I pray that you would set us free from any lies that we've believed. Maybe today, even as we're hearing this message, we realize just how much we've been influenced by this fallen culture that we're living in that continually tells us we can do whatever we want. We can live however we want, believe however we want to believe. But Jesus, you've told us today that to be your follower is to follow your teaching to follow you, Jesus, to follow your words, to follow your presence, to follow your ways. And so today we align our hearts back to you today. We get off the train that's going in the wrong direction. We align our hearts back to your truth, back to your, your word. And Father, I pray today for any person in this place who's exploring faith, who's maybe got some doubts, not sure what they believe, that Lord, you would give them the courage just to pray a simple prayer to say, God, I believe in you, help my unbelief. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's the story of the story of a man whose son was afflicted with an evil spirit. And he brought his son to Jesus and he said, if you can heal him, Jesus, help him. And Jesus said, all things are possible to those who believe. And it's one of the most honest responses I've ever heard in the Bible. He said, I believe in you. Help my unbelief. And so, Father, I pray for any person in this room who's wrestling with doubts, who got us maybe wondered where you are, Maybe they've gone through a season of hurt, a season of disappointment, a season where they're wondering if this faith thing, this Christianity thing even works, that God, they would pray one of the most sincere prayers in all of the Bible. God, I believe in you. Help my unbelief. Father, make yourself more real to us, I pray. I pray for the person who needs to step over the line of faith today, who needs to, to, to turn their heart towards you, the, the person who just needs to simply say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe in you. I wanna follow you. I wanna turn from my sins 
and follow your truth. Father, I pray that as they do that, that they would encounter the truth and the truth would set them free, Father, because he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And so we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like more information about our church, visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org or follow us on social media.